Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible. We are continuing this morning in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And I've entitled the message this morning, Extravagant Love. Extravagant Love. You know, one of the the most wonderful things about being a Christian, I mean, you think about it. Not, Not only do we have a home in heaven when this brief life of ours just zips by and is gone, and it does, boy, it's going faster and faster, isn't it? Mm-mm-mm. Man, it's just going. Wow. I noticed uh, my friends are a bunch of, getting to be a bunch of old guys. <laughs> just the way it happens, right? Mm-hmm. We have a home in heaven, isn't that great? But one of the things here and now that I really love, I, t- I got to tell you, I really love, and this is one of, the, one of the main themes of this whole passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, is, uh, is the reality that in Christ, as after we have come to know him as Savior, that all our sins are forgiven. We used to sing that, didn't we? Gone, 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 all my sins are gone. We teach that. Your children in the old Sunday school days. And the reality is, they are gone. They've been nailed to the cross. Colossians says that. Forgiven. Released. Isn't that great? It's one of the great reasons to know the reality of the truth of God's word. You know, we live in a world that says, you're only material, you're no different than a dog. When you die, they throw you in the ground, that's it i got news for you. you. You're so much more than that. Your body is the vehicle that carries your soul about. Your soul is you. Your body's not you. You know? Even as our bodies age and become decrepit in time, right? They don't work like they once worked. Amen? Mine don't. Mine, mine don't. Mine doesn't. <laughs> it's like I got a spare somewhere, right? <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> But all our sins are gone. Isn't that great? It, 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 we have a conscience. We're not just material. Uh, you know, you, you may have a computer, many of you do. That's just stuff. That's material. There's no soul there. You may yell at it and scream at it at a time, but it does not hear you, and it doesn't feel badly at all. It, it, it doesn't. You have a soul. You have a conscience. One psychologist said, if I, if uh, in, a, in, a, in a hospital setting, if I could convince most of my patients that their sins are forgiven, I could send most of them home. Plagued with guilt. We are, listen, we, we're spirit and we're soul. And God has made us with a moral likeness to him. And when we violate that, we have not only legal guilt, we are guilty before the law of God. Whether you sense it or not, you, we are guilty. That's the place of the law to show us how far short we come. We think we're doing pretty good. 
Because we're looking at the bottom of the, of the layer where we all live, you know? And we have guilty feelings if our conscience is working. Now, we can have a seared and hard heart. We can. And many people do. It's a sad thing. Your conscience is like a, an alarm system that goes out. Danger, 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 beware, beware. It, it sounds the alarm. And, uh, and a lot of folks can't live with it. They can't forgive themselves. How many times have you heard of that? I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. Well, I'm here to tell you, God is in Christ at the cross paid for all of our sins and cleans our hearts, scrubs it. I don't care what kind of scoundrel you were. We're all scoundrels. Some of us sin more openly, and we go like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we make the headlines. Remember the adage, read the headlines, don't make the headlines. But we're all the same, whether you made the headlines or not. You all end up in the obits, and that's where we all end up anyway. And God forgives us and cleanses us. Isn't that great? I love it. And then as a Christian, okay, you say, well, then how do I live as a Christian? Every day. It's like when Jesus said to Peter, you know, I need to wash your feet. Isn't that glorious way? John 13. Peter goes, oh, no, Lord. No, 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 no. Jesus said, if I'm not, then you have no part or parcel in this thing. Okay, Lord, go ahead. And I think that's a, a picture of our daily walk. As we walk through this world, we, we, we don't need to sin, but we still sin. We still have that sin bent within us. It's nauseating. I hate the thing. We need to find confession daily. First John 1 John 1.9, I've worn it out in my Bible of you. We confess our sins. Agree. That means agree with God I've sinned. He's faith, he's, he is faithful. We're not. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. So it's like a daily foot washing as we soil ourselves and the daily find that cleansing. Listen, a lot of people handle their guilt wrongly. Where do you think a lot of times alcohol, people drown it in alcohol. You just can't live it. I mean, life it can be hard, and the things we do make it harder. So I'll drown it in alcohol because it, it, it numbs me. Or, or drugs of some sort. It numbs me. Or all sorts of things to drown out the cry of my heart, the guilt of my conduct. I can't sleep at night. All these things. Listen, Jesus is the friend of sinners. And in his blood, he washes us. And Isn't that great news? That is, to me, clean. Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone through the friend of sinners. And because of that, it demands a response from every one of us. And that's the point of where we're headed with a sermon. Look at your outline, extravagant love, Luke 7. As we wrap up chapter 7, we're going to discover something about love and the response. Uh, particularly, it's interesting, the timing with Valentine's Day. And as you look at that, open your Bible. Let's read our text in, in Luke 7. And uh, this section beginning at verse 36. Very interesting account. And Luke lets us peer over the shoulder and kind of watch what's going on and listen and to learn. Luke seven thirty six. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. That's amazing. And Jesus went 
into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind uh, him at his feet, weeping, she began to weep his, uh, wipe, uh, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the, with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to him himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, now we know the Pharisee's name, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he tells a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose... You note the poison? There's a little bit of poison there in his response. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Very good, A+. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, Who is this? Or the idea is, Who does he think he is? That's the sense of it, of this one who can even forgive sins. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, what a, what a story. Uh, Luke, uh, under the direction of the Spirit of God, includes in his gospel account and wants us to step up and notice something even more about Jesus, something about sinners, something about uh, arrogancy and pride. And there's so many themes that flow through this as as typical of the Word of God. Well, extravagant love. Tomorrow is a day for lovers. Every day is a day for lovers, right? But tomorrow is, uh, is Valentine's Day, right? Some really chafe against it. They go, why do we have to take one day that's artificial and make it for, uh, for, for, for lovers, be my valentine type of thing. And they, they rebel. They probably don't have happy romance in their life. You know, there's some things you want to fight City Hall on. Other things, go with the flow. I got news for you, okay? That may be the best thing, guys, you get out of here today. Anyway, it's especially, this day is set aside, what? So that we express our love to those that are our beloved ones. How do we do that? We, we give flowers and chocolate. Don't you love chocolate? How many love chocolate? Let's see how many here. Isn't that great? Chocolate is, wow. 
I love that. Now, Jim, you're going to Bahrain. Remember what I like. Jim, bring, if he can, he brings me back in these uh, duty-free at the airport, it's these Swiss chocolate bricks. Bricks. Did you hear me? Brick, right? Isn't that what they call that? Man. And I, I'm so happy when I'm studying the Word and I'm chewing on that in my study. Chocolate. Now, that's not a valentine from Jim to me. But, but Jim, we're, we're real men here, so, you know, but... Write that down. Remember that, though. He's going to Bahrain. You're going to Bahrain on Saturday, right, Saturday? So, Sonny, we're going to pray for you on that. Monday. That's right. That's not tomorrow, though. A week. Okay. That's right next to Qatar. So, wow. What? Yeah, I hide it, though. I hide it and hoard it. I do. I have it. Yeah. I do. Well, confession's good. I mean, it is. Chocolate. Most ladies love chocolate. I don't know. They said there's a female thing with the, all, the, all the chemicals in chocolate. Really, can I, Ladies, amen? I thought so, yeah. My mother always. I used to get that Russell Stover for, for Valentine's. Okay. Chocolate flowers. Flowers are good. Valentine cards. All that kind of stuff, right? Wow, to express that. Did you know that the essence of Christianity is not the externals? It isn't. And it's certainly, certainly not the formal ceremony, pomp, worship, liturgy. I mean, God can use that, but it can be stifling if there's no hot, uh, no love, love of Christ in all that. It can be lost in the formalism. It's not that. It's not that at all. The essence the essence of Christianity in the very heart of it is, uh, and I have on your sheet, is uh, the expression, to have and to express personal love for the Lord. Remember, uh, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. And our neighbor, that's anyone nearer, as ourself. We already love ourselves. That's what you're saying. Now, love those out there, like you already love yourself. What's that mean? You like to live indoors, you like to eat, you like to be clothed, you like care for folks, love them. So it's vertical, love the Lord first with all our heart, soul, and strength after we've come to know Him in Christ, and then we, we live a life of love, and we become a blessing. That's, that's the essence of life. Look, people that love the Lord and love others and demonstrate that by giving are the happiest people. That's the happiest people. Be stingy, be a hoarder, hoard your chocolate, you'll be unhappy. Well, it is pretty good stuff, but you know, you, you know what I mean. In the, in the bigger scheme of things, just, just hold on tight. Don't look at those that need. Shut your ears to those that cry out, that have need around you, and you will be cantankerous. You'll shrivel. That's not what God made us for. And so we ought to snoop around and find out that those and our neighbors that have need. Love is the heart of faith. It is the very heart of it. It is. Well, Luke has shown uh, us a number of people responding in faith. Remember that? You respond. How about the centurion earlier in the chapter? All right? Uh, my servant is, is desperately in need of your help. Come to my house and heal him. And uh, then he sends out people and stops. Don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. What? He has a tremendous statement of trust in the Lord's power. 
I'm a man under authority as you are. Just say the word. Well, that's great trust, great faith. Luke has shown us that uh, there are those that have responded like the centurion in faith. And now he's going to show us something even more. He's going to step it up. He's going to show us of, of, a, of a woman who responds not only in faith, but in love, in love for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. For Jesus desires, I'm reminded, the affection, the love of our hearts, as well as the faith of our mind. It's like the song we used to sing a number of years ago, to love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of the mission. Remember that? Some of you know that well. And that's uh, what we ought to be a part of. Well, there, there are two, uh, two responses in this text revealing the love that we owe him for forgiving us and releasing us of all our sins. We tell you at the get-go, the word forgiven or to forgive in the, uh, in the Greek is the word aphemi, aphemi. And it's the, it's the idea of releasing. It's like uh, you had a bird in a cage, and uh, I told you that many times. We had that one wedding, I'll never forget. You know, the, the, the couples when you get married to try and do these things. Sometimes it's when they're leaving, it's bubbles, and sometimes it's rice, and sometimes it's confetti, and sometimes it's, I don't know, it's fun to see what they come up with. Although, the, the one that I just laughed and laughed because it was so funny, they were telling me, and they were so filled with joy, and they couldn't wait, and if it was your wedding, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but they had white doves, and when we come out, we're going to release them. You, know, you could see the bride had all these visions of, you know, just slow motion, you know, it was like the music, and, and, the, and the, they're going out from the church, and they're headed to the limo, and the... And, and they got the signal, and the guys release these doves. These white doves go. They fly up, then they go over, and they land on the power lines. <laughs> and she looks up, and she was so disappointed in it that they just didn't fly off into eternity, you know. That's the idea of the word release. <laughs> Forget the power lines and all that. But just to release... And that's what God does when he forgives us of all our sins. He releases us. The debt has been paid in full. And you know what? That's, what? that's what hell is, you know. Hell is a, a holy God, a God of justice. And what God does is since you wouldn't have the payment that was made in full, then you will pay with what you can. And you'll pay forever. And it'll never cover it. And God really, in hell, Tim Keller's right, hell is not God throwing people in hell. You didn't want God all your life, and so he gives you what you want. A place that is devoid of God forever, a place called hell. God forgives the sinner, releases, sets free. And we're free as a bird, free to be holy, free to serve, not encumbered with the burden of the sin that all of us have. Remember John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Pro And he came, and the burden fell off. Oh, I remember that. Even as a young boy, when, when I came to Saving Faith, after Pastor Griffin was preaching away a couple of weeks, that opened my heart, and uh, I prayed that sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. You say, how much sin can a, can a seven-year-old boy have? Well, I was acquainted with my sin. 
And I knew that the wages of sin was death. And I prayed with, I don't even know who it was. They had someone, some gentleman asked, do you want me to pray with him? And I said, yeah. And so I prayed in the side room, and, and he talked to me for a little bit. Don't really know what he said all that much. Now, I don't remember any, but he was kind, he was patient, and he cared for me that way. And I remember praying. And I remember after that, I left the service. My family was out in the car waiting, like we see happen around here, right? And I remember walking up that, that stairway feeling clean all over. I felt God has forgiven me of my sin, all of it. He opened, he opened my heart. He cleansed me. He forgave me. Praise God for that. He released me and set me free. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, it's the only way to live. It is. Hmm. I don't know how he can stand this, really. Hmm. Anyway, two responses uh, to Jesus revealing the love we owe him for forgiving us of all our sin. For to be forgiven much is to love much. That's that little parable. Hmm. Well, the first response we see in verses 36 through 38, we like this woman should have and express great love for our Lord Jesus. This unnamed woman, and do you notice she's not named? Mm-hmm. God knows her name. The Lord knew her name. But without saying a single word, we don't find her saying a word in the text, she spoke a thousand words by her actions and her emotions. The setting is a dinner party. We saw that. Uh, Jesus, the Pharisee, Simon, we learn later in the text, Invites Jesus to come to his house. That's an interesting thing. How about that? The Lord comes to his house. How, what would you do if Jesus was going to visit your house? That's quite a thought, isn't it? You'd probably clean out some closets and get rid of some stuff. You know? Some stuff that's quite, You ought to get rid of that anyway. We live in his presence. Don't keep any of that junk. Don't carry it in. Carry it out. Get rid of it. I don't know what. You know what. If God puts his face. Jesus is going to come to Simon's house. That's amazing to me. It's a dinner party thrown by Simon, a Pharisee. Now, we read the text. It's more like a block party. You know, when, when a, a famous teacher, a rabbi, would visit a house uh, in the way the construction of the home, a lot of times they had open courtyards and this kind of thing. And so it was not unusual for people to stop by and to ask that rabbi, that teacher, a question or two, uh, their open courtyards, an inner courtyard area, and they would eat outside. I I love to see some of the pictures of Italy where they're outside, the families have the long table set up, and they're all sitting outside. I'm like, isn't that great fun? Look at that. They're eating pasta and all that good stuff and salad, and it's it's so, so beautiful like that. It's an outside occasion, more like a block party, but it's part of Simon's uh, property and in his home. So that's the setting. So if you, when you read this, you go like, well, how did that happen? You know, like I have a living room, a kitchen, and a dining room maybe, and we're sort of, how, how, did, how did she get in? And that was sort of the culture and the custom of the day, so you understand that. So it's a semi-public occasion, this uh, dinner 
uh, at Simon's house. And Simon invites Jesus to come and eat in his home. We don't know why he invited Jesus. We have no idea. The text doesn't say. We might suspect that he's uh, attempting to trick Jesus. You know, he's intrigued. He's heard him. He's seen him. He's seen the crowds. And so I sort of get, uh, I get this teacher in and I'm uh, going to ask him some questions maybe and maybe trick him. We see others try to do that later. But Jesus accepts his invitation. That's, that's most amazing to me here. But it shouldn't be, really, because our Lord is accessible, isn't he? He's the friend of sinners. And whereas John, we saw last time, John's out in the wilderness, an aesthetic, doesn't eat the fancy food, doesn't drink the wine, he's dressed not like Botany 500 or, or uh, Joseph Banks. Man, if they run any more sales... Anyway, uh, he doesn't look like any of that, right? He's over there. Here's she. He's a, he's, a, he's a friend of the people, you know? And, and he, he's accessible. I love that. Even the children. Suffer the children. Come to me. Wasn't enamored by that, you know? Uh, Got to be a dignitary or a who's who to come. You know, I love that. He's a friend of sinner. He's your friend. The accessible come to Jesus. I like that. Even you hear that in the uh, popular culture. People talk about that They'll, at a big moment. Yeah, and I always know that they had a, a Christian heritage, whether they are or not. When they'll say, "Well, was that a come to Jesus moment?" And they don't mean they're not talking about salvation. They're just meaning that was a momentous moment. He came and whatever happened, right? The reality is, is that Jesus is accessible, and you can come to him at any moment. And here he comes to a high and mighty Pharisee, a separatist, uh, one who uh, thought he was good and above the crowd, and, and the Lord came. That's amazing. And maybe it ought to speak to the accessibility we ought to have as little Christ Christians in moving among people. I know it's comfortable to be here. Isn't it great? We love to be with God's people, and it's safe, and, and, uh, and uh, love the sinner but hate the sinner. Maybe we ought to be more accessible to people. Maybe God has placed us in our families, neighborhoods, workplaces, school, to be his hands and feet and eyes. We are the epistle of Christ. We ought to be. We ought to be. We ought to be. With one hand, we hold the oracle of God. The other hand, we rescue the perishing. And we get involved in people's lives. I don't see Jesus saying, no, I'm not going to his house. He goes. And he just goes in, he finds a seat, and he sits down, and, and there he, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Don't rush through that as you read that. He's willing to eat with anyone, even a Pharisee. Wow. And Luke, at number two, Luke further tells us of an uninvited guest, this woman of the of the city. It's a surprising event taking place while, they, while they're there. And uh, I should say something, uh, while this lady crashes the semi-public uh, party, it sort of reminded me in D.C. at the White House. Remember that couple that crashed that? That's rather amazing. You think of post-9-11 security and, and uh, boy, that's really brassy, don't you think? And they see it sort of skirted right around, you, you know, the whole thing on that. I don't know if any, did anything ever happen and they get in trouble? They got a what? They got a TV show out of that. Well, there you go. Some of you are wondering what you're going to do in the future. She, they crashed. 
Well, she crashes this party. It's, it's rather amazing. And you should know, too, that Jesus went in and he laid down. Now, uh, they didn't always lay down, but when they had festive times of meals, the, the tables were very low, and uh, there were cushions or lounge, low lounge chairs, pillows, and they would lounge and eat. Doesn't that sound nice? They would typically lay down, take their sandals off. The sandals were dirty and dusty and all that. They'd lay down, lean on the left arm and eat, and they would be all the way around. I had an occasion to have a Seder, Passover meal, in the old city of Jerusalem, and we went through all of that. It was rather amazing. But it was, it was fun. It's, you know, now, they didn't always do that. They did sit at tables in the normal course of the work-a-day work, uh, work week. But uh, here they were uh, lounging around the table, enjoying themselves. And it would go on for a long, long time. And some would fall asleep and wake up and eat again. That sounds like a, you may want to try that for Thanksgiving. You might be able to have that second piece of pumpkin pie after a little shut-eye. And into this setting uh, walks this uninvited guest, this woman, the text is verse 37. She's a woman of the city. Now, that's common language. She was a streetwalker. She's a prostitute, a woman of the city. We say a streetwalker, or there are different phrases that are used for that. And, uh, uh, and she is called in the text, she's called three times, so you don't miss it, that she's a sinner. Luke actually introduces her in verse 37 by saying she's a sinner. The Pharisee, in, in shock, says, in essence, she's sinful. And then Jesus, in verse 47, she, he forgives her of all her sin. He releases her. And so she is a sinner. Uh, she, uh, she heard that Jesus was there, uh, trying to understand the text. I'm sure she heard Jesus teach earlier, believed that she was redeemed earlier, because her actions evidence the fruit of repentance. She has uh, heard that he was there in that neighborhood. She's rushing there with a stone, alabasters of stone, uh, and uh, in that, a very, very expensive perfume, and she's going to go worship the Lord in common way of that day and to the semi-public event. This former streetwalker, prostitute, and that's the setting of what's, what's happening uh, here in, in the text. She's going to approach the friend of sinners. Well, we find that the woman stands over the feet of Jesus. Now, you already got the scene. He's laid out, inclined, leaning forward. She, there are people around. She's there, and she's watching and listening, and she becomes overwhelmed with her tears. The text says it's not, it's not the word for weeping. It's more than a whimpering. <clears throat> whimpering, we know what that is. It's more than that. It's a weeping. She's, she, she's filled with emotion in gratitude for what God has done for her and forgiving her. And the tears stream down and they fall on the feet of Jesus. And she has nothing to wipe his feet with. She looks around. She hadn't planned on that. Emotions are... Have you noticed that? There's something you can't plan. Uh, even guys are like that. My father was like that when uh, the old German guy, engineer, you know. <clears throat> never, I never saw him cry. I saw him cry when his father died. And, uh, and then at my... At my I was going to say my funeral. At my wedding. <laughs> Remember that, dear? 
And my dad is overcoming uh, with grief uh, because he knew more than I knew at that time uh, things would be forever changed. And I was close to my father. And as we were walking out to the reception area, he's crying away. And he said to me, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm not at a funeral. He was embarrassed by it. You know, you can't, you can't know. When I, when I gave, both gave and married my daughter, I was bracing. I didn't know. You know, the phony pastors that write their homiletical outline, and they'll say, on between A and B, cry here. They're not worth a dime. You don't know your emotions, though. I will tell you that. You don't know your emotions, and uh, it can hit you like a ton of bricks. And I don't think she planned on that <clears throat> when she went. <clears throat> but in gratitude, she's overwhelmed, and she's crying, and now she's got nothing to wipe her feet. So what does she do? Uh, she uh, unbind, unbounds her hair. And she begins to wipe his feet with unbounded hair. Now, you should know in that day, ladies and a lady's hair is her glory, right? To men, it's their biceps, right? A man's strength. And, and when you get older, white, uh, gray hair. I don't know what happens when you lose all your hair. Then you got, anyway. Uh, but her hair is unbounded. She unbound, lets it hang down. Now, you should know that it's a cultural difference. In that day, when a woman got married, uh, she bound up her hair, and she never went in public without it being bound up. It was a shame for her to let others see her hair. Her hair was her glory. It was for her man only to see her in all her glory. It was humility. It was, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, shameful for her. It was, it was in humility uh, that she did this not caring about anyone else what they thought. And so she drops to his feet, and she begins to, to wipe. It's quite a scene. Wipe his feet, uh, to wipe her tears off her feet. Uh, a humbling thing for her to do. Uh, someone has said, that's a shameful thing. Uh, you see, her tears were tears of relief. She's been forgiven, set free. They were tears of gratitude and thanks. They were tears of joy. Listen, tears are good. I, as a pastor, wish more people would cry and weep. More people ought to weep than what they do. I used to greet folks at the door when they left, and some would say, Pastor, I'm sorry. I, they would apologize for tears. And I, I say, never apologize for that. Some, some of us, the way we live, we ought to weep more before the Lord. Her tears were gratitude for joy. They were tears of relief. They were beautiful tears. Tears are a wonderful, wonderful thing that God has designed. And so then she begins to kiss his feet. And it's more, the word is a durative Old Testament and perfect word means not once, but in the past she kissed and kissed and kissed his feet. Again, it's a cultural thing. Uh, the feet were something only servants would touch. And she's more than touching, wiping them, and now she's kissing. It was an act of purity and affection. It, uh, it was not one of erotica at all. Get that out of your mind. Some people really pervert the word. And this was not Mary Magdalene. We meet her later, uh, even next week in the text. We're introduced to her. It's not Mary. It was with reverence and submission. Uh, she, uh, she washed her master's feet 
and giving him the highest of honors. She's kissing his feet. Remember, remember Judas's kiss of the Lord? You know, that's how they greet in that day. They kiss each side of the cheek and they would greet each other that way. That was a kiss of friendship. But not in Judas' case, was it? It was a kiss of betrayal. Hers was a kiss of reverence, love, affection, and adoration. Wow, what a difference. Well, she anoints his feet with very expensive perfume. She gave to Jesus perhaps the very best thing that she owned, probably the most costly gift um, that she could ever give. You see, love gives. You're learning that, I hope, right? Love gives, and it gives, and it gives. God's the love that he gave. Love gives. We love him because he first loved us and gave. God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave. Have you learned that the essence of living is giving? I have to say that and shout that and repeat that because we're bombarded by the contrary message in our culture. Living is giving. And she gave. Oh, give. Pour out your heart, your life, your all for Christ. You'll never regret it. You won't. Here she is giving. And the reason she loved the Lord so much and see is that she has been forgiven of all her sins. All of them. And hers were obvious. Well, her guilt had been released. She'd been forgiven. She was clean. And now, verse 50, go in peace. Peace. That room had no peace at that point. There was stirring and trouble and talk around the table. But there was peace in her heart. She had been forgiven and cleansed. Peace is such a great thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. It'll allow you to sleep better at night. Peace in your family, and your relationship. It's a wonderful thing. It's a terrible thing when we're filled with anxiousness and worry. What's coming next? It's a terrible thing when the guilt of our sin is not cared for. And if you're not saved and you don't know Christ, you don't know peace. But it can be yours. This forgiven sinner is your picture and the picture of me here. Peace. Go in peace. It's no wonder God's people who walk with them are happy people. The world often wonders about us. What's the matter with them? They're singing, they're happy, they're joyful. God gives peace and he gives joy. Why? Because the dump truck of our sin has been poured out on Calvary. And the daily washing, as we examine our heart and live circumspectly, we deal with it daily. And there's the release and the setting free. And the Lord says to us, be at peace, go in peace, enjoy. It's a wonderful thing. It's one of the most great things about being saved. And that can be for you. What a, what a wonderful thing. Peace in the, within the heart is a wonderful gift. And only Christ can provide that. To have a conscience clear and the guilt gone. Wow. Peace. Well, today, we don't show our love for the Lord by kissing him. Obviously, he's bodily in heaven. We, we can't do that. We can't wipe his feet with our hair, these cultural things. We can't anoint his feet. But how can we show our love for the Lord? We can sing passionately when the band plays or when we hear music or in our car at home. We can sing with passion praise to the Lord. 
That's a wonderful thing to do that. Or by speaking words of affection to Jesus when we pray. Lord, I love you, Lord. You know the song that says that. And tell the Lord that. I want to love you more and more. Some of the great old songs and sing that and pray that. We can do it by reaching out to other sinners who, who need the grace of God. As Jesus' whole life on earth demonstrated, reaching out, accessible. That's how we do it. How do, can we express the love of Reaching out to them too. One sinner, forgiven, showing another sinner where to find bread. Wow, and there are a lot of them. Have you noticed? A lot of people that don't know Jesus. I'd love to see them all here under the word that God would open their heart and save them. Oh, my. And by living a life of giving. That's how we show our love, as Jesus gave the ultimate gift. Well, the second response, now that's the first, that's this woman for you. But the second, unlike Simon, we need to remember God's mercy to us as sinners. Don't forget the pit from which God dug you. Sometimes we too often forget, don't we? We're starting feeling pretty good about ourselves, right? Get ready. Don't forget the pit that wherein you were dug and what God has done. This Pharisee was so hard-hearted that he didn't even rejoice at the repentance of a sinner. Isn't that something? I've seen that in sometimes good churches. People come in that have terrible backgrounds, and it's public sin. And they're like, well, what's he doing here? And, uh, then, and then you see the signs of, of testimony. God has forgiven me. Well, I'm not so sure he did. Well, we'll see. What is that? That sounds like a Pharisee. Pharisaical attitude. Hey, we ought to rejoice in that. We ought to encourage. We ought to be filled with people like that. Encouraging. Praise God for what he's done. Now let's help you get discipled. You've got to grow in grace. Man, we're going to help you. We're standing with you. Wow, that's great news. Wow. May not be welcome anywhere. You're welcome here. It's the church of the living God. Praise God. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Amen? That is. Simon was so hard-hearted he couldn't even... And Simon has about the same scorn for Jesus as he has for this invited woman. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, in verses 39 through 49, it's seen in this rude hospitality. I mean, Jesus makes a point of it in his parable. Look, Simon, you didn't wash my feet. And that day they wore uh, flip-flops and sandals everywhere, and the roads weren't nice and clean. They walked. I always say that again because we drive. They walked everywhere, dusty, dirty, and it caked on their feet. And so it was... It was the culture of that day. didn't have to, but it was a common thing that you, that you would have be, be fried a basin of water and you'd wash your feet, take off the dirty, dusty, muddy sandals, and take basic hospitality. And then, and then what they do, get a little water to wash your face because you had a little dirt on that and dust, and a little bit of olive oil. And it was a smelling, nice f- fragrance to it that kind of helped. I've been over in Egypt in some of the perfumeries, and there's strong essence. Now, there's probably a number of reasons for that. We love our warm showers, don't you? Thank God for simple things. I often think of that. Good, fresh, French bread. I'm sorry, Beth. Well, you guys, with that diet. But, but that, a warm shower. I mean, it's the simple things. Uh, a, a warm bed at night. to see. I mean, don't miss the simple things, right? 
And a lot of cultures, they don't know what it is to bathe every day, like the Middle East, like in that day. And so they put a little oil, nice smelling stuff, thank you for that, B.O., you know, you know, we don't, okay? And they would do that. And uh, Simon didn't do any of that. There was no common courage. And so how do you read that? He's coming in, it's dinner party. It's almost a disdain he has for Jesus. Almost as much as he has for this uh, woman who's been forgiven, the streetwalker, formerly streetwalker. He has no hospitality. He neglects common courtesy. There's an arrogant neglect here about him and comes through in Jesus' parable. Well, when Simon saw all this, that is the woman, and he's offended by her actions. It's his dinner party. Who is she to intrude, right? He's offended. More than that, he's embarrassed by her emotions. I mean, what a way to ruin a fun dinner party with some woman over there crying. You know, it's, it's hard. Isn't it tough, men, when your ladies cry? Oh, I hate that. Right? And we're like, why, why, we're like frustrated. Why are you crying? And what, Have you noticed women cry more than men? How many have noticed that? My goodness, what's that? You got a testimony there? <laughs> That's right. It's a very uncomfortable thing. And it's messing up his dinner party. And Jesus seems to receive it without rebuke or anything else. And he's offended by, by her. He's embarrassed. He's got utter disdain for her. He calls her in verse 39. She's a sinner, the sinner. He's graceless, he's merciless, he's loveless. Why is that? Well, for him, God was for good people. How about that? Boy, that's a common view. God is for good people. God helps them that help themselves. God is, right? Uh, totally wrong. Failed. There are none good. Some sins are more obvious. A lot of them are not obvious. God knows that. No such thing. But he thought he was feeling pretty good about himself. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a separatist. That's what the word, that's the Pharisees were. And not for people whose lives are messed up. Listen, a lot of people have that idea. Why don't you come to, oh, my life is, I'm not good enough to come to church. you got to tell them, listen, that's where you belong. Come stand right next to me. We'll fit right in. Jesus, he rebukes him in this parable. Don't miss that. It's powerful. He considered himself good. Well, Jesus knows Simon's thought. Did you you read that? In verse 40, Jesus answering, uh, I mean, Simon is thinking this. Don't miss that. Here's God in flesh. And verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say so, teacher. Simon's thinking these things. Well, if he's a prophet, he'll know who's touching him. He knows it. He knows his thoughts, and he knows the woman's identity. You see, he's more than a prophet, isn't he? And so uh, Jesus tells Simon a story about two men. One man owed ten times as much as another. A denarii is basically what you got paid for a day's work. So one owed 50, one owed 500, and the, 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 uh, the loan officer said, you're forgiven, you're released. Which loved more? Well, obviously the one who was forgiven the billions of dollars, right, versus pocket change. 
Wow. Forgiven, released. Don't have to pay it. Wow. We can, as Americans, we understand when the analogies are in money, don't we? Wow. Man. Well, Jesus is not talking about economics here. There's not a Wall Street Journal side column here. On No, he's talking about the great debt of our sin and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the gratitude that ought to flow from us who have been forgiven. Number one, it is the forgiven that make the best lovers. You, know, you, can't, you can't walk away with less than that. The one who is forgiven much loves much. That's what the Lord is teaching. Simon may have been religious, but he had no love in his heart at all for Jesus. He didn't even show him the basic hospitality when he came into his home. But she did. She did extravagantly. She wiped his feet with her tears. Uh, she cried on his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair. She, uh, she kissed his feet. He gave no kiss. He didn't give even the cheap stuff, the olive oil with the little fragrance for the head. As she gave the very best thing she could give, she broke open that alabaster, poured out that ointment on her, very expensive. She gave the, the Estee Lauder or whatever. Is that right, Susan, Estee Lauder? Yeah, my mother used to like that. Well, you one dab of that, you're good for a week. That stuff is... <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Wow, she, she did. She's amazing. But Simon had no love for Jesus. Her love was extravagant. The point of the story is those who've been forgiven much love much. You see, there's a direct connection between forgiveness and love. Chuck Colson, uh, who was part of that Watergate break-in, you remember that? And then was finally caught and, and, and uh, found guilty and thrown in jail. I mean, he went from the height, part of the president's inner circle, to the very bottom as he sat in jail after being a part of that cover-up. And God wonderfully saved him there. He was listening to R.C. Sproul's series and reading on the holiness of God. God used that to bring that man to saving faith and brought him out of that. One of his best-known books uh, he wrote years later was the book Loving God. Here's a man that his sin was wide open on all the pages of the paper. How would you like that? And forgiven of it all and cleansed. And he writes the book Loving God. That's the right response. That ought to be the response. He has been forgiven much loves much. Have you ever tried to sit down and figure out how many sins that you've committed? You talk about having a tough time in math class. Yeah, you better get your calculator out and ask God to renew your mind because don't we forget it all? we like, uh, it's sort of foggy. Can we say, you know, like, uh, you know, like a million sins? Maybe so, it's so many I can't count that high. It's enormous and sometimes we forget that. We forget the pit that we've been dying. We forget what we've been forgiven and released of. And maybe that's because uh, the result of our love for the Lord is, yeah, I love the Lord, uh, sort of. And we need to remember the enormous amount of debt we've been forgiven. Every one of us, me and you, 
And we ought to muse on that. It'll change our love for the Lord. For that's the point. We've been forgiven much. Do you know that? Do you remember that? Have you thought about that? And if you have, and let it really sink into your heart, you will love the Lord much. Like this gal. Wow. That's the point of the whole, of the whole uh, paraclip here. And see, Jesus announces to her again, it's amazing, verse 48, he tells her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I believe they were, he told her that they were forgiven earlier. But he tells her here in this setting to maybe encourage her. You know, sometimes when God forgives, we're not, we're like, I don't know if I can forgive myself. He tells her in front, your sins are forgiven. And then maybe a second reason is so that they would know again, those sitting around, the Pharisees and friends, I have the authority to forgive sin. He does, and only Jesus. Not Mohammed, I'm sorry. Only Jesus. Because of his coming cross and sacrifice there. Forgiven. Aren't they great words? Through my blood. Mm. Forgiven. And they're right. They say in their audacity, who is this, verse 49, who in the world is this, what kind of person is this that would make such a statement, who can forgive sins? They were right, they were right. Only God can forgive sins. And standing in their midst was the Son of God, God made flesh. And somehow they went from A to B, but didn't go B to C and get the connection there. Or it was Emmanuel. It was the Christ, the promised one. Amazing. Wow. Wow. The Christ. Well, lessons for our life. There are a lot of themes that flow through here, but how about this? Number one, a disciple of the Lord Jesus is a lover of him. Not a sentimental, but it's a deep, the deepest of heartfelt affection for the Lord Jesus. More love to him, more love to him. We used to sing that. I pray that. Lord, let me love you more and more and more. And less and less of myself. If you're saved, the question, do you love him? Is it an increasing love? It should be. You ought to love him more today as you recognize what he has forgiven you than you did yesterday and the day before. He ought to be your all in all. Our Lord, our God, our Savior, the Lord is our shepherd. Number two, number two, it helps to remember the enormous number of sins that he has forgiven you. You know, we sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. How about just musing, don't stay too long there, but muse upon what God has forgiven you and released you. And then quickly remember Paul's words, forgetting those things which are behind, because it can sink us down in despair again. And maybe it causes us to doubt again, but you've been forgiven and released. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget. It will cause you to love him more and more. Number three, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Come to him today. If you've not trusted him as your Savior, come. I say to you, come and be saved today. The quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Your word is right. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. 
Thank you for dying in my place. You paid the penalty I couldn't pay. I receive you as my Lord. And you'll be saved today. He is the friend of sinners. Come. Number four. Number four. If you have a small love for the Lord, I remind you, you are either not saved, like Simon. He's not saved. Or forget where you came from. You forget. You can easily forget by crowding in other loves. Loves that are good and loves that are, ought to be lesser. You know, it's important for a man to love his wife. It's a command. We love our children and we ought to love our church and love for country and all that. And there are certain levels of love and we understand. But to love the Lord our God is number one. That's why God made us. And so if you have a small love, ask the Lord, Lord, show me, what's the problem here? I've got a heart problem. And if I'm not saved, take care of that today. And if I am, Lord, I pray that you, you deal with me any sin that's negating that or I've forgotten and let me live in the rest of my days in loving gratitude to you. Number five and last. As believers, we, are, we too are called to be an embracing love that shuns evil without shunning sinners. What I mean by that is, is we need to get involved in, in people's lives. Now, obviously, if you've been saved from different things, be wise about it. You know, you don't want to get sucked back into the hole of yesterday. Be wise about it. Be careful. But having said all that, with one hand, hold on to the oracle of God. With the other hand, despising the, the, the sin but loving the sinner. Be approachable. R- rescue the perishing. Go for it. I pray that God gives each one of us a heart for men and women and boys and girls that don't know Christ. Even if their lives are grossly messed up and most don't want anything to do with them. I pray that you will. I do. And we'll be like Jesus, the friend of sinners. Well, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, a day for expressing extravagant love. Wow. The extravagant love of a forgiven woman for her Savior. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this.